This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Oh, let's get it rolling here on a Tuesday. Thank you for joining us. One Bills Live is your program of choice. Thanks for making that choice. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. It is OTA Week 3, and the players are on the practice field. We had an opportunity to go out and... Watch the guys on a beautiful, beautiful June day. day. Beautiful day in the neighborhood. Mild right and not too hot. Yeah, it's right in uh, Steve's wheelhouse at about seventy-two degrees. So uh, had the bucket hat on. Yeah, had the bucket hat on. It was indeed. great. It's a great day. Yeah, beauty. Got a lot of. I mean, most there's a handful of guys that are not here. And you, it's not like they haven't been here, but for some reason they're not around today. So you yeah, know, guys get stuff where they get. Got to head home real quick and come back. All that stuff's going Yeah, on. I will say uh, it was Leonard Floyd's first day on the practice field, so that was good to see. And he only had it in about second or third gear during the early position drills. Even in third gear, the get-off is pretty good. Yeah. Just going to say it. They got some dudes, man. They got some dudes. Uh, some encouraging signs. Mitch Morse, you know, who is – not fully participating, is beginning to work his way back into the practice setting. If we remember, he had that big rap on his snapping elbow all last season and kind of gutted his way through the year. And I think he had some kind of cleanup thing with his elbow or whatever. So they've kind of eased him back in. He's still not participating fully. But we hope uh, that comes in due course, maybe as soon as minicamp. It's the perfect time for – the coaching yeah, staff. Yeah, slow the roll. Slow them down and let other guys take reps that would really help them learn what's going on. Um, some guys learn better when they run through it. Yep. And it's the perfect time to let – I mean, Mitch Moore, I mean, what's he going to – Yeah, you know, he, what's he knows he what he's doing. Standing uh, there watching, hearing the conversations, that's all really good. But let some other guy run through it and take some reps. It's, it's yes. the perfect time to do that. The other encouraging sign was Tommy Doyle who we've talked about on this show in recent weeks, was out there participating, albeit not fully. But he had a helmet on, and he was getting uh, some reps in during position drills and things like that. So that was great to see as he's coming off the ACL injury that he suffered in week three last year. So he appears to be on track uh, to get back into the practice setting and getting back to his touchdown catching ways. <laughs> yeah, the New England playoff game, right? Um, and then we also saw Demar Hamlin getting some some snaps in teamwork today. So we'll have to see if he is in fact fully cleared, or he is. He's definitely one step closer to that. Uh, seeing the action that he saw today. Now we have to remember they're in helmets and shorts. There really isn't any full-blown contact but he's doing more now than he was at the start of OTAs two weeks ago I think that much can be said so that was encouraging to see Um, so he's one step closer to his goal you know of returning and making a full return to the NFL so some nice encouraging signs out there today for guys that were on the mend or had long rehab schedules through the course of the offseason so Positive signs for sure. Yeah, that's great to see. Um, I mean, there are a lot of there's a lot of answered prayers when he runs out on the field, right? I mean, uh, oh yeah, it's amazing um, how far we've come in you know five six months, and it's good to see. It really is, and still, 
Uh, like yesterday, I, I I took a minute to gather myself when he came over and hugged the commissioner and yeah. said hi to him, Terry. And it was I was like, man, I f- forgot. You know, you forget because we kind of get caught up in the in the yeah, you get pace caught up the, in the day to day pace and- of life. And man, where where we've come from, have, you know, that's uh, just a, a credit to Demar and all the people around him, and it's just great to see the national reporters that get their hands on fresh contracts as Leonard Floyd officially signed his contract this morning. Some of the national reporters were already tweeting out the terms one year, 7 million for Leonard Floyd or the reported terms with incentives that could push it up to nine for this year. Um, I don't know about you, but I still think that's, that's a pretty good deal for, For Leonard Floyd, this well, late in the free agent game, yeah, and, and for think, the team. Yeah, and think about it, too. He's a great insurance policy slash replacement part for until Vaughn Miller gets healthy. And then if Vaughn Miller gets healthy and comes back 100%, you got both of those guys on the edges along with Greg Rousseau and the rest, you got to feel really good about where your pass rush is going to be a pretty sitting. good crew. Yeah, uh, particularly if it happens if they, if they kind of hit their stride and get a bunch of reps together and by the second half of the season kind of start – spreading their wings that's that's a lot of fun to think about yeah so we'll keep tabs on that and you know see how things shake out but you know they got a group man they got a group of dudes and i'm not just talking to d line i mean steve and i were talking about it along the sidelines there with some of the other media members the bills got better this offseason and nobody outside of buffalo knows it like you talk about the national media they're consumed with Aaron Rodgers, the return of Lamar Jackson to Baltimore, anything that Cincinnati's doing. Um, the Joe Burrow contract. The Bills got better this offseason oh, wow. at a number of areas, and nobody knows. And you know what? I'm good with that. It's amazing the recency bias people have when it comes to football teams and how long it lasts. You know, the Bills you know, had an ignominious end to their season at home against Cincinnati. And after the early the early returns on the Cincinnati game two, three weeks prior, of course it ended, you know, in a tragic incident with Demar. But you know Cincinnati was rolling it on Buffalo in the first drive and a half of that game, and people are just projecting the results and thinking, wow, the Bengals are that much better than the Bills. If the Bills show up to that game, any of those games, and any of the games this year, I know their schedule's tough this year. The Bills stay healthy with the roster that they've assembled to this point. They're a handful more than they are. They are real. They are a real problem for this every single team on that schedule, including the Chiefs, the Bengals, and the Eagles and the Jets. The Bills are a real problem. Um, their health notwithstanding. Uh, last year they play the Bengals in the playoffs. They don't have Micah Hyde. They don't have Von Miller. Um, don't have Daquan Jones. I mean, they got guys that are key contributors that yeah. are off the field defensively, offensively. They got nick. They're nicked up. Um, man, I, I just you really think about what that meant last season, all the stuff that happened, and they got Brownie and I both believe this is genuine. We're not just saying that. I really think they're a better football team today than they were twelve months ago when they were the Super Bowl favorites. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree now, there are that. other teams, too, that got better. But still, you know, we're not in a vacuum, I know. I think they're 
the number one thing is they're healthier and deeper on defense. And in my estimation, they are a more diverse offense based on the players that they've added. They're not yeah. just throw it all over the yard. If they have to change their spots and their approach, and even to a certain extent their identity, they have the people to do that yeah. if necessary. Yeah. And I think that's what makes them more dangerous this year. You know, because if they, because, you, you know, you think about it, um, what was the toughest opponent for the Cincinnati Bengals last year? It was the Baltimore Ravens in their own division because Cincinnati struggled to play rock'em, sock'em football with them. Right. And they were tight games, every, both of them. Right. Um, the Bills kind of fortified the offensive line and their running back room. If it comes together, they could play rock'em, sock'em football if they need to. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's not uh, yeah. their identity. Their identity is going to be Josh right. Allen throwing the football. We right. all know this. And it's going to win them the majority of their football games this year. But you get in a street fight, they can flip the switch now, in my estimation, based on who they've added on the offensive side of the ball. The size at guard on the interior, the big backs you got in the backfield now. You want a brawl? You want a street fight? We can play that too. Yeah, you said it. At times last year, and I've, I've talked to groups of people, and, and I say the same thing, and they, everybody's like, yeah. But at times last year, you said it, Brownie, it, it seemed offensively like it was a heavy lift. And, and it could have, you know, some injuries, certainly. Josh's elbows, certainly in the second half of the season. You know, they had some, some issues where they were winning games. It was like, wow, it just looked really hard. Because I think they lacked the faith in other in aspects of their offense to really lean on them and do something different. There were teams that really made it hard on what the Bills did best. You know, having Josh drop back and sling it. You know, when Josh breaks contain and starts doing stuff, everything's off the hook, and, he, you know, it's hard to beat him. But it looks hard. Uh, I think with the changes they've made and the adjustments to the roster – now, certainly everything looks good from this end of the season, but it looks like they can they have added ways to win games to their offense and to their defense. So I, I just think they're going to have more ways to present real problems for their opponents on a consistent basis. Yeah. Um, just so everyone knows, programming note, at the close of practice today, we do expect to hear – from the newest Buffalo Bill, Leonard Floyd, who will be addressing the media. We will bring that to you here on One Bills Live today. And General Manager Brandon Bean with some of the latest defensive line developments, the extension signed by Ed Oliver and the signing of Leonard Floyd, we anticipate will be covered and addressed by Buffalo's general manager at some point after practice as well. We will bring you those comments in addition to those of Leonard Floyd. Uh, we will uh, get to around the NFL in a second, but we've got a caller on the line. It's one of our regulars, so we'll go there right away so she doesn't have to wait. It's Judy in Buffalo joining us. What do you got for us, Judy? Well, now that Brandon Bean has put his home up uh, on the market, th- does that indicate that maybe he- he's on the move? Um, you know, what what is his uh, contract status? And uh, let, let's put some things to, to, into focus here. Aside from Josh Allen, what are his major uh, draft accomplishments? Okay. Okay. Those are fair. I will say, number one, you could knock me over with a feather if he's on the move because he just signed a multi-year contract extension two years ago. 
Um, and I don't have the exact length, but I had heard it was up to five or six years long. So there's about four more years left on his current contract. I imagine he's being paid handsomely by the Pagulas with, you know, with good reason. Um, as far as his draft record's concerned, yes, Josh, Tremaine are, were certain uh, feathers in his cap, not only because of the players that he picked, but because of the maneuvering that he orchestrated to put himself in position to get those two players. The Bills did not have the 7th and 16th picks in the draft in round one in 2018. He had to move up in a series of moves to land both of those players. Um, You know, as for his draft history, he'd be the first to tell you he's not perfect. But I think as we have stated on this show several times, Steve, you have to look at general managers in the draft like a batting average in baseball. If you're batting over 300, you're doing pretty good. If you bat 400, you are elite in this league as a general manager. That's how much of an inexact science drafting is. Now, if you look at his 2018 draft class, uh, it's pretty darn good because you have Josh and Tremaine, and then I know in that class you also have um, Saran Neal, who's still on the roster, Taron Johnson, who's your starting nickel, Harrison Phillips, who's still in the league and playing for Minnesota, Ray-Ray McLeod, who's still in the league and playing for San Francisco as a return man. Uh, That was his first draft class for the Bills. Now, 2019, not as good. And I think he'd be the first to admit that. Um, But Ed Oliver's here on a second contract. Devin Singletary was reliable, if not spectacular. Dawson Knox is a starting quality tight end. Cody Ford, they got to, you know, they didn't get what they wanted out of him. But they get an asset in return for him, trade a fifth, trade him for a fifth round pick to Arizona. And then Jaquan Johnson was a backup here as a sixth round draft choice. And you had Tommy Sweeney and Daryl Johnson who were backups and got moved. So, you know, then you've got the Greg Rousseau draft in 21. Um, 2020, they didn't have a first round pick because he executed the Diggs trade. So if you want to count Diggs as a first round pick, I think you'd sign off on that. Gabe Davis was a fourth round find in 2020. Matt Milano was a fifth-round Tyler guy. Bass was a sixth-round pick that year. Yeah. Dane Jackson was a seventh-round pick. So his draft history is pretty good. Yeah, I'm not going to say it was perfect, but it's pretty darn good as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it, one thing, and he'll tell you this too, it, it, he's, he's really good, and, and I think guys who know what they're doing and are secure in, their, in what they do will tell you this. He's still kicking himself over the Wyatt Teller trade. Uh, Wyatt Teller, he drafted in, fifth round. In, in the fifth round, and Wyatt Teller's an all-pro guard for now for the Cleveland Browns because at that time we didn't need Wyatt Teller and all this, you know, and and then, you know, you trade him and he turns into this guy. So uh, I don't have a real – I don't have a problem with Brandon Bean's draft history. Um, certainly there have been guys who have had stretches that have been really good in comparison. I would note also that – since his first or second draft class, they haven't been drafting very high. So there's that as well. I mean, you're getting players that other teams have passed over. So, yeah, no, none of these guys are perfect. We've said it. Even the best general managers are maybe 500 on a great year. Uh, now, you've seen anomalies where, like, the, the 
Seattle Seahawks in 2011, 2012 got four starters out of each of those drafts, and it took them to two Super Bowls. Well, look at the look at the 20 draft for the Bengals. Their right. first three picks: Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, and Logan Wilson. Their starting middle linebacker. Right. Those are their first three draft choices. Right. I and mean, you hit on a draft like that. It can really set you up well to be competitive for a long yeah, time. Because not only are they great players, they're also dirt cheap. Yep. So you're getting great play, and then you can go out and buy ancillary pieces around them to make them better. And they did. Uh, they've done a nice job of that. Um, sus- sustaining success is the hardest thing to do. Um, I think the Chiefs, the Bills uh, have done that extremely well. Um, and we'll see how the other, some of the other teams do. Some of the other teams, you know, it's good year, bad year, good year, bad year, good year, a bunch of bad years, that kind of thing. So we'll see. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I didn't know there were people out there who were down on if – if Judy was, in fact, down on Brandon Bean's draft abilities. I don't know. I'm, that, that's a little surprising to me. Let's go around the NFL, and uh, we begin, Steve – with and round the NFL, incidentally, brought to you by Collida Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. After we were off the air on Monday, Steve, it was reported that the NFL was investigating an Indianapolis Colts player for pervasive betting practices that included hundreds of bets allegedly placed by this player, mostly in the amounts of $25 to $50. The player, who was unnamed, revealed himself on Twitter last night. With a very self-effacing post, it's cornerback Isaiah Rogers, a six-round draft choice a couple of years ago by the Colts, and he said the following, I know I have made mistakes and I am willing to do whatever it takes to repair the situation, Rogers wrote. The last thing I ever wanted to do was to be a distraction to the Colts organization, my coaches, and my teammates. I've let people down that I care about. I made an error in judgment. I'm going to work hard to make sure that those mistakes are rectified through this process. It's an honor to play in the NFL, and I've never taken that lightly. I'm very sorry for all of this. Now, Steve, this guy not only placed hundreds of bets, which, as you know, is illegal on all fronts as, as an NFL employee. He bet on the Colts, Steve. He bet on his own team multiple times, according to the reports. And, Steve, I don't know about you, but the first thing I thought of when I saw that was Pete Rose, who bet on his own team and got banned for life. And I realize we're talking about 1985. We're not talking about 2023. But I'm telling you right now, with the suspensions that we've seen of late, you know, Calvin Ridley for a year was the first big name to go down, missed a year of football, and it cost him $11 million in salary. To Jamison Williams with the Detroit Lions getting suspended for six games along with another teammate because they were betting in the facility, which is illegal. Um, yeah, even on their phone. This guy bet illegal, on his yeah. own team. They're going to throw the book at this guy, aren't they? Yeah, he thought, obviously, people think, like if they put the account in, a, in one of their buddies' names and make the bets through him, nobody's going to be the wiser. That doesn't Dude, fly. Because they're doing it with his credit card. Yeah. They're dumb. I mean, that's as dumb as the day is long. You're going to cost yourself a career because of this. Yeah, that- You can't bet on – like it's bad enough you're betting, which with all the gambling – 
and other stuff in terms of the tutorials and seminars they put these players through, I'm just stunned they're even doing it. Like, you're not even going near that. That's like, yeah. that's like a kid when mom tells you, don't go near the oven, it's hot. You know? Same thing here. He bet on his own team, allegedly. Yeah. In the past five years, seven NFL players, one assistant coach, and an undisclosed number of team employees have been found to have violated the league's gambling policies. That's in the last five years. So it's been seven players and one assistant coach plus other people who, you know, work for teams and, you know, ticket offices and marketing, whatever. Uh, but this guy is the first one I've seen who was betting on, the, betting on NFL games. And his own team. His own no team. No less. I, I don't mean, know that's that just, if uh, I'm all right. If you're Roger Goodell, don't you just say you're done? At, for, I, I, for, I'm, I'm telling you right now, they're going to drop the hammer on this kid. I feel terrible for him, but I think he just cost himself an NFL career. I don't yeah. think he's playing the league ever again. Yeah, I don't because either. what do we hear all the time? Like when the whole Stephen Ross thing went down in Miami, and Brian Flores accused him of trying to pay him to purposely lose games, right? The number one thing that was addressed in that whole mess was integrity of the game, maintaining integrity of the game. And I know the league has gotten into bed with the sports books, and that's a slippery slope right. to try to navigate. It's complicated, no it, question. It's a tricky slope to navigate to begin with. But you lay out restrictions for your employees, which obviously include players, <laughs> and you hope that people abide by them. We know there aren't, it's not going to be perfect. And, you know, you suspend a guy for a year. They suspended a second player for a year. Now they suspend the two Lions, Jameson Williams among them, for six games. And you say, okay, people are going to get it now. And I'm not going to pretend to know the timeline as to when Isaiah Rogers allegedly placed these bets. Maybe it was before any of those suspensions came right. down, and they're just coming to light now. But holy cow, man, betting on your own football team, it reeks of – destroying the integrity of the game because now it puts out the air of, oh, NFL games might be fixed. If this guy's betting on him, he must feel confident how these games are going to turn out. That's why he's betting on his own team. And so that is a narrative and optics that the NFL does not want. And this is not, this is not Anthony Richardson, their number one pick. This is not, Reggie Wayne, you know, who's a Wall of Fame player for the Colts. It's not Jonathan Taylor. This is a sixth-round draft choice, Isaiah Rogers, who actually had a chance to start this year after Stephon Gilmore left. I think he's done. Yeah. He's never going to play in the NFL again. That wouldn't surprise me. They are going to make an example of yeah. this guy. That wouldn't surprise me. I And, I'm, and I don't have a problem with it. I, it was – a stupid thing to do. Grave, con you had to know grave consequences would happen if indeed you were caught breaking the rules, knowingly breaking the rules, willfully breaking the rules. Yeah, you're done. That's all, uh, that's it. I mean, I don't think we've gone down this road so far that it won't be an ex a really severe punishment. I mean, a hundred bets, dude. Yeah, hundreds of Just, bets, mostly wow. 25, 50 bucks, and then there was one like for, for, a, thousand. A, for a thousand or whatever. Um, but really hundreds of bets, and, then the, and the account was in somebody else's name, thought he, had, thought he was being really smart, like nobody's going to know. Dude, they, they know. <laughs>
They know. They follow the money, and the money comes to your bank account. That's all there is to it. That's Um, it. In a much more serious story, we learned that two Browns players were robbed at gunpoint by six masked men, according to a police report. A team source confirmed the two players were Greg Newsom and Perrion Winfrey. Neither were harmed in the incident, fortunately. But um, this now makes three Browns players that have been a victim of a crime recently. Demetric Felton, one of their other players, had his car stolen on Sunday. So another unnamed player was robbed of his car and his jewelry. So I don't know what the heck's going on in Ohio, but somebody's got to get some security cameras set yeah, up obviously and they- figure that out. I mean, that is a, that's a major issue. You've got million-dollar athletes. I mean, you're talking about direct investments in your on-field product whose lives are in danger suddenly. Like, you've got to fix that fast. Yeah, well, it's – well, when you've got a, a – a group, a, a, a demographic of guys, pro athletes, and you know where they go, and they and a group of criminals finds out where they can go and get away with it. They're going to do it, you know. And and smart by the athletes, just, you, they're not doing. They're just saying, yeah, take it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, go ahead, you know. Let them have to take the car, take the wallet, take the jewelry. That fine because you know that can all be replaced. Um, but you can't get shot. I got to imagine there's a meeting of the minds going on at Brown Security, because I, and it sounds like these things took took place offsite, right? But still, like that's got to be addressed and rectified, because you're talking about the safety of your players. I mean, that's that's some serious stuff. So glad everybody's okay over there. But man, that that was eye opening for me when I saw that today. And then we have Steve. Our Jets update, okay? The Jets, in their infinite wisdom, wisdom have decided not to hold mandatory minicamp next week. They're skipping it all together. We don't need it. They are citing the reason why as follows. The Jets, as we know, are playing in the Hall of Fame game at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, so by virtue of having an additional preseason game, which is the first preseason game played in the summer, as we know, they get to start training camp a week early. So they're saying, because we're starting training camp a week early and we're playing in the Hall of Fame game, we get an extra preseason game out of it. Coach Salas says, I'm happy with the work we've put in this spring. We're good. We don't need minicamp. Yeah. Well, Steve, I'm telling you right now. I cannot recall a time where an NFL coach decided to forego the opportunity to practice. Well, now we all know that a lot of these three-day minicamps end after two days, kind of like a little reward system for the players if they get their work done through the first two days and they've had a relatively successful spring. We see that all the time. Or we see team-building day. Hey, right. We're not on the practice field today. We're going to the movies. You know, like right. something we see that a lot. Scrapping a whole mandatory mini camp. Yeah, I don't know. You don't think it's a big deal? I don't, because 
certainly they they watch these guys and, and watch them practice and they, they like what they're seeing. If if Rodgers is picking it up and he's got some and they're they're not misfiring with the receivers, they can't get the timing or I get all of that. I think it's probably and Salah is probably saying, listen, I think it would be a great gesture of, you know, encouragement to the players if we did this. Uh, they'll come back ready to practice. And the fact that they canceled a mandatory minicamp. That's what I'm talking about. Now, if it was – now, if they had 100% – and I don't know. I haven't been keeping track of the Jets that much. If they were 100% uh, attendance for the voluntary stuff, I can see it. Depending on the one, one or two guys maybe who didn't show up, why they didn't show up. Steve, I'm going to put my New York – I don't know. I'm going to put my New York fan hat on here. You ready? Because <laughs> okay. I'm going to tell you right now, this is what New York fans are going to say. Right. Yeah, um, what are they thinking? What have they won? What have they won? They haven't even made the playoffs. Why are they scrapping three practices? This is ludicrous. Yeah. When we're not ready to play the Bills in week one, we'll know why. Right. That, that's what New York fans are saying. I get it. I get it. But I mean, yeah, I'm not. This is not if they point. don't look good. This is on a, Monday night, week one. People are going to point right back uh, to this. This is as big a deal as Roger straining his calf in May. Okay, nobody cares. It's all right. Let me ask you this then. I get it, but how much of an influence do you think Aaron Rodgers had in this decision to scrap mandatory minicamp? That is an intriguing proposition. He is Maybe, a man who does not like off-season workouts. By rule, even so, if you're gonna have if you have the mandatory workouts, you can just tell Aaron, say, Aaron, you can be here in body and spirit, but you ain't taking any reps. We're just gonna you're gonna relax. That kind of thing. I could see that, but I can't see a head coach, Robert Sala or anybody else, with this guy coming in off. You know, if they traded for they trade for him and something. Have him come in and start calling shots like that. I mean, they get. They said, "Yeah, you got all those other guys signed by the." You know, that was nah. That was them. That wasn't. I, Aaron certainly gave him a vote of confidence, but I, I get it. It's an easy, two easy dots to connect. I just don't think that's the, probably what happened. Certainly, Rogers is not complaining about it. Neither than any yeah. other guys, but I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going. Hey, let's let's skip a three day mandatory minicamp, coach. I, just, I really don't feel it. Yeah. You have him say, well, like nothing? No, I don't think so. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll let it lie. I see the two dots that you're trying to connect. I'll, I'm going to connect those dots as soon as it doesn't work at the beginning of the season. Uh, topic of discussion for our Bills fans today, though. What is the headline you want on the Bills coming out of the spring practices here? They got this week of OTAs, mandatory minicamp coming up. When it's all said and done. What's the headline you want on the Bills coming out of the spring practices? You let us know at 803-0550-1888-550-2550. Number to get on board. Got open lines for you. So jump on and let us know or hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you on an OTA Tuesday here on One Bills Live presented by Collada Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you here on a Tuesday. Time for us to go out to the post-practice microphone where the newest Buffalo Bill, Leonard Floyd, is addressing the media. Teammates for the first time and your conversations with the team leading into the move that was made. Uh, it's been a great experience so far, uh, getting out there and uh, getting acclimated to the new team and uh, my new teammates. Uh, pretty good first day. What's your take on this defense and maybe some of the decision-making that went into it You know, for you to join this team? Uh, my my take on this defense is a uh, special defense, uh, especially after watching it last year with Vaughn. Uh, it's a defense you want to be a part of, and uh, and just so having the situation led to me ended up coming here, and uh, I'm gonna seize the moment and uh, go out and help the defense be even more better. Talked about how this is it's almost um, there's a pipeline of Rams players that are here. It's almost like old home week for you in some ways, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, I've been sending a lot of some guys I didn't even know had came from the Rams to the team, like Trevathan. Trevathan, I ran into him. I'm like, yo, what's up? But, yeah, it's been good to see some of my old teammates with my new teammates. Bond said he spoke to you, he just pitched to you, Buffalo, in the sense of culture, and that it's similar to what he experienced in L.A., um, I know it's very early, but did you take those take that to heart? And is that something you're you're finding out here in your first day, in some ways? Yeah, yeah, I definitely took it to heart uh, because I called him uh, right when I knew I had interest from the Bills to get uh, the inside details on how the staff work, how the people treat the players, and uh, how the team how the team is. And uh, Vaughn was a great guy in telling me. That it's a great place, man. You got to come. You know how Vaughn. And uh, I, I made it happen. We made it happen. How, how special is it, you know, to go from winning the Super Bowl with the Rams into, you know, joining the team like the Bills who's on that cusp of getting to the Super Bowl? Uh, it's very special, man. Uh, it's an opportunity, man. Got to seize the moment type of special. Uh, it's something you can't pass up. We got to make sure – make sure uh, – I capitalize on it. There's a report out there that you had other options and, and maybe even left some money out there to come here. Why? Why would you leave money on the table to come here to Buffalo to play for the Bills? Oh, it was simple. Uh, shoot, I want to win. I want to win the Super Bowl. And, I, and I'm examining teams and looking at their rosters and the Bills the best, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I just felt like if I come here, I can help help the team get the and win a game. We, we know a little bit about your skill set, you know, what you bring to the table. How do you see yourself fitting in? Uh, pretty much continue with what I've been been doing the last three years, just continuing to uh, just getting better every year. That's my main thing. I, I like to try to get better every year. I plan on stacking on the years I had in Chicago with this first year here. Is it like kind of waiting out the free agent process like obviously like letting time kind of pass and waiting for the right opportunity like that doesn't sound easy to kind of like sit by and like watch other people sign I actually was kind of fun for me because uh I didn't really have time off coming from Super Bowl and you got to go play another season uh it gave me some time off I had started me a farm back home like I got my animals right I got cows sheep goats ponies uh so I've really been on my country boy stuff. But now that I got my helmet back on, let's rock. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Where is your farm? Oh, uh, my farm is South Georgia. Yeah, South Georgia. Are you familiar with that Oliver's horses yet? <laughs> no, nah, we ain't talked about him, but I heard about him. What made you and Vaughn click? You know, I know he was only there for a little while in L.A. What made you two kind of click together? Uh, just the want to to win. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, the belief we had in each other to get our job done. He know he got his side, and I know I got my side, and we going to get to the quarterback and have fun. He, he said that with you here, he might be able to not have to rush back, you know, from injury. I mean, what do you, you know, see yourself as, um, you know, when it comes to the start of the season? Uh, yeah, uh, shoot. Plan on being a big dog to the big dog come back. You know what I'm saying? Uh, then we share it. Uh, that's basically what I plan on doing. Your conversation with Vaughn, what did he actually sell you on that convinced you to sign him? What did he sell me on? Because, you know, he's a GM now, you know, he's in GM mode. So, you know, what was that? What, 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 was, the, what was the selling pitch on coming to Buffalo in uh, Vaughn Miller's race? Super Bowl ring. <laughs> like, Vaughn was the person who uh, helped me get mine, you know what I'm saying? And once he said that, I was like, yeah, Vaughn, we... You know that's what I want. So just got to come in, do the work, put in the work to get there. You know, the Bills have obviously come short in the playoffs the last couple of years. What would it mean if you were to be part of the, the reason that they were able to push farther this year and potentially accomplish their goal? Uh, it would be big for me, man. It would show uh, my hard work and my underdog mentality. Uh, it's just something I want to prove, you know what I'm saying, and I got to. What was the beginning of that underdog mentality? How did how that begin to form? Shoot, uh, I'd probably say when uh, I was in Chicago, I didn't really get to make the uh, the sacks like I wanted to. And then when I got to L.A., I made sure I had a chip on my shoulder. You know what I'm saying? I made sure I worked on my game, worked on my craft, and got better so I could get those sacks. And I just been building off that. Any differences between the two teams besides your mentality that allowed you to flourish in LA? The difference between who? Chicago and LA. Uh, yeah, big difference. The people. I feel like uh, when you get got great people in the building, they bring out they bring out the best in the players. You know what I'm saying? And I feel the same way with the Bills. Like I might play my best ball just from being on the Bills, being around the, being around great people and uh, great teammates. Aside from the people at the Rams and the people here, what's been the key to your success over the last three years? Your success the last three, how you've been able to get after the quarterback? Uh, I I'd probably have to get at get at to my trainer. I had went to this trainer called Chuck Smith. Uh, Vaughn trained with him too, man. He taught me my craft, and ever since then I've been attacking each game, knowing my game plan and my wrist and my wrist. Uh, when I'm resting the quarterback, like I know all my moves and how to get the, I'll probably say that. I know you're on the defensive side of things, but how important is it to have an elite quarterback on you know, your team? Oh, that's big. That's really the biggest thing. And I got one of the best quarterbacks in the league, top two quarterback in the league, uh, a real juggernaut type of quarterback. Hated playing against him, so 
I'm happy he's my teammate now. Yeah. I was gonna ask you played against Josh. What's it like to defend against Josh Allen? Yeah, he's he's a beast, man. He's a, a a berserker. You know what I'm saying? Like he hard to stop when he get going. Yeah, he he the real deal for sure. All right, that's Leonard Floyd addressing the media after his first practice as a Buffalo Bill today, signing what, his contract what this exactly, morning. What exactly is a berserker? Uh, it's probably some kind of freakish player because that's clearly what Gotta he thinks be from a movie or Josh Allen right? is. Yeah. And uh, he said he's much happier that Josh is on his team rather than having to play against him because he said he didn't enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, to no one's surprise. Um, also interested and confirmed. I mean, we heard this. Uh, from some people within the walls of the Bills organization that Leonard Floyd was motivated by winning, first of all. And you heard him ask the question, why did you leave money on the table when you could have been paid more somewhere else to sign with the Bills? And he said, because I want to win. And those are exactly the people that the Bills personnel department want in this building because they're motivated by something bigger than money. And that's the desire to win a championship. And this is a guy who's already won one. I uh, I get asked all the time, and I you've heard me talk about it here on the show, where people say, "What is, you know, what's it going to take for the Bills to get over the hump, or you know, what's going to get them over the hump? What's going to you know what that over the hump phrase that you hear?" Um, and I, I've said, and you know it. I've told you this a gazillion times, Brownie, and all our listeners are going rolling mm-hmm. their eyes at me now. There ain't no hump. You just got to play well on that day when the game comes. But I will say this: there's a mindset that players have when they want to get through moments like that. And the more guys who have been through that and know what it is to overcome a big moment or to come through in a big moment or to conquer a big moment, to win a big moment, the more guys you have like that, the more – the better chance your team has of doing that, right? So guys like Leonard Floyd, Von Miller – Guys like that, Rap Taylor Rap, they've been there. Damian they, Harris, they don't they don't shy away from those. They've they've been in those moments. They know how to handle them and be successful in them. And if there's you know something that you know Josh can't help these other guys with and or, or whatever, those guys can. And so I've always said good players make you better. Certainly Leonard Floyd is a good player. Yeah. But it's also that mindset. So if you're looking for a, a way for this team to play well in those moments that really matter, players like Leonard Floyd are those kind of players. Yeah. And he also commented on how Vaughn did recruit him, said, you got to come, you got to come here. So he basically said, I'll hold down the fort until Vaughn gets back, and then when he gets back, we share it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so things looking on the up and up. Leonard Floyd sounds like a guy who's got the right kind of quote-unquote Bill's DNA to be very successful here. As a matter of fact, he believes – Based on the atmosphere and the culture here, he has a chance to play the best football of his career in a Bills uniform, which would be welcomed by everyone. Right. We have to take a break here. More of your phone calls when we come back, though. Mark and West Seneca is going to lead us off, but we have open lines for you at 803-0550. What is the headline you want on the Bills coming out of their spring practices? You let us know. We'll talk to you next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. What is the headline you want on the Bills coming out of their spring practices? Something you'd love to hear about the team and their state of readiness 
for either training camp or the regular season. 803-0550-1888-550-2550, the number to get on board. We go to Mark in West Seneca next. What do you got for us, Mark? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, guys. How are you today? Good, good. Hey, uh, real quick, I'll give my headline, and I'd like to make a comment on Judy, who I love. I like listening to her takes usually, has good insight about Brandon Bean. Um, first of all, the, the headline is, I want to see uh, Kincaid has brought a diversity to the offense we haven't seen in McDermott's tenure here in Buffalo, and that uh, Hardy and Sherfield are really stepping up and are going to be a big part of the offense. That's that's the headline okay, I want. Okay, I like it. And then uh, as far as Brandon Bean goes, um, I, I don't know if Judy was criticizing his draft status or whatever, but I but I have heard people criticize his draft drafting and uh, some of the things he's done. I would just like to point out, before Brandon Bean got here, the Bills were in pro sports hell. They were not bad enough to get the elite talent, and they weren't good enough to really do any damage or even get to the playoffs for years and years and years. In a very short time, uh, that man rebuilt our roster, tore it down, rebuilt it, and not only did he rebuild it to, let's say, a good team or whatever, the last three to four years, we are on a par with any team in the league with a Super Bowl roster. He does it different ways. He does things all the time to excite us. Who saw this Floyd signing coming? You know, and you can argue, should we have gone for Hopkins or Floyd? I'm excited about the Floyd signing more than I would have been for Hopkins. To me, Hopkins would have been a luxury that would have suppressed opportunities for other players and other moves that they had made this offseason. Floyd just adds to the defense. So, um, to criticize Brandon Bean, I'm not excusing any mistakes. General manager is a imperfect science, but he is far and above one of the best, if not the best, in the league. So I just want to support the guy because I think he's great. Yeah. Thanks, guys. And, and, you know, we echo those sentiments, Mark, so thanks for the call. Um, yeah, I mean, if you do enough digging, you can see that the overwhelming majority of the personnel decisions he has made have been on point and made this team better. It's why the team has one of the three or four best rosters in football. One of the deepest rosters in football. One of the most talented rosters in football. Um, So, yeah, I mean, for us, it's, quite frankly, for me anyway, I'll just speak for myself, it doesn't even make any sense. Um, Because Steve and I remember the previous (laughs) 17 years before he and Sean McDermott got here. And Mark's 100% right. It was pro sports hell. It absolutely was in every way, shape, and form Um, because they were middling it for the longest time. Not bad enough to get a top draft choice, not good enough to make the playoffs, and they lived in pro football purgatory seemingly for close to two decades. Not seemingly, close to two decades. Right. No question. I think even if you believe – even if you believe Brandon Bean is – Average, which I, I I have a hard time saying he's below average as a drafter. I I mean, oh no way, right? So I, I mean, just say I say he's been average. The and certainly everybody kind of focuses when they talk about GMs. That's what they look at, right? How does he draft? Well, yeah. So if Brandon Bean's drafted average, I'll say this: the rest of his job, which means signing free agents and picking the right guys and getting them for value and getting guys to play hard, that will play hard and sign them to these one-year deals. He, he has, set a trend with that. He has been brilliant 
at that. He was doing that five years ago. Guess his, what? Everybody's doing it now. His trend-setting way of doing business and the way he vets guys and the kind of guys he brings, certainly even if you think he's average at drafting, the guy's elite at building a roster even with an average draft class every year, if that's, if that's your take on his draft. He's elite at building a roster. And that's – so, yes, okay, draft is what it is, but the rest of the GM's job, which goes 12 months a year, in season, out of season, free agency, all of that stuff, the guy's elite. So that's got to be thrown into that evaluation process as well. So whether you like his draft classes or not, you must love him even more that he can build an elite roster without having drafted well because he has. Yeah. It's that simple. Speaking, so there, yeah. it's, that's all in that mix. Speaking of Brandon Bean, he is going to be addressing the media here as scheduled at the close of practice today. We will bring those comments to you next when we return for hour number two. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, hour number two on a Tuesday, an OTA practice Tuesday for the Bills. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. We turn now to the post-practice podium where GM Brandon Bean is addressing the recent signings on the defensive side of the ball of Ed Oliver and Leonard Floyd. Brandon, just first off here, to see DeMar out there in a helmet and going through team drills or whatever how much progress has he made what specifically has he been elevated yeah really proud of him you know to take that next step that's probably the obviously you guys have seen him out here working out he put he put the helmet on um the last practice last week and um texted his parents afterwards like just so proud of him and thrilled for where he's at in his journey uh he's still got you know still got more more milestones to hit but to think back, you know, we're just at the beginning of June, and that was the beginning of January, and we were just hoping he'd live. And now he's not only got a normal life, but we're talking about playing not any football, NFL football. So uh, thrilled for him, uh, all the people that have been around him, and uh, he's it's an amazing story. So, like, what are the next steps before he – you know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. he still has a journey. Is, is it like a – like a stepladder type thing. Can you outline that? For yeah, us? I mean, we're just upping his, you know, building his uh, reps up, and uh, he's great. Like he's mentally ready to go. He's he knows the defense. He's a, it's year three into it. It's all that. It, um, the next thing's going to be uh, we got to put pads on, and uh, it'll be at training camp. But I thought it was really important for him to, uh, if he could and felt it was ready. You know, this is this is a two way communication. This is not us saying you got to do this. And you know, it's. Um, he's he's worked really hard on the mental side of this. Um, physically, he's, he's he's all cleared, but this is, you know, a real you know a real deal from a mental standpoint. After you've been you know to where he was, but um, you know the next thing will be when we get to St. John Fisher. I think he's done. 
you know, we'll, you know, through next week, minicamp continue to ramp him up, um, you know, with helmets on, but uh, that'll be probably the next big hurdle for him tackling. The Leonard Floyd, was the Leonard Floyd thing something that came together quickly? Is it something you've kind of been looking into for a while? And, and why was he a good fit on, on the edge? Yeah, I mean, uh, you're always, as we say all the time, you know, roster building is a 12-month thing, and, and I know people people panic after the draft sometimes. Oh, you didn't get this position or that position. Um, you never know. Things were always out there. Some guys didn't get what they wanted. Um, he's a guy we checked in with before the draft. He's a guy we stayed in touch with with his reps. And a couple of weeks ago, they said, listen, there is some mutual interest here. Um, we talked loose parameters um, and, and just thought it would be good to get on a call. So um, I talked to him. It was the week before last. Uh, had a nice 15, 20-minute conversation with him, told him about our organization, our team. We talked about, you know, he played at um, uh, Hargrave Military with Shaq and, and um, Dion there. We were just talking about some of the guys. Obviously, he knew Vaughn. And uh, and then, you know, a few days later, Vaughn came up to me and said, hey, I heard you talk to Leonard Floyd. You know, he, he reached out and asked some questions. And um, so that's kind of how it started. And then... Um, after that, he, you know, after that talk, we really started talking numbers. He had some other teams interested, and and um, this weekend we came to a conclusion that uh, he wanted to be a bill, and and he was going to take the deal we put, we had on the table. How much is this? To you is potentially valuable to this defense. Uh, I'm sorry, my phone. What are what are some of his traits that stood out to you as potentially valuable? Well, he's a pass rusher. I mean, just the ability to you know get after the passer first. You know, again, you gotta you know you gotta the best way to play defense in the, in this league in such a passing league. Yes, you have to stop the run. We we know that, but we also got to get you know get to the other quarterback, get him off the spot. Even if you're not sacking him, you know, affecting him, uh, you know, hurrying throws, things like that. Um, I think the last three years he's just under 30 sacks. Um, so to add a guy like that um, to our group adds competition. And, um, you know, I think our guys all will, will rise up, you know, adding another guy like Leonard Floyd. Vaughn talked, Von talked about how this might alleviate the urgency for him to have to rush back with, with Leonard here. Um, is that a fair assessment? And, and, and how much does he help? You know, fill that fill, fill that spot for you know in, in the interim. And what is the you know what, what when do you expect Vaughn to be back? Yeah, I don't know when I expect him back. I mean, Vaughn is shooting for week one. That's his target. That's never changed. As we sit here today, that's still his goal. Um, our goal. You know, even if we knew right now that he's going to play week one, we would have done this. This wasn't a move of oh, Vaughn might not be ready. Um, this was about adding to our group, adding another player, and just you know we like to rush in waves. We don't we don't play our D line a high volume of snaps. We want them fresh, getting after that quarterback. So it was really just adding another guy to the group. I would say you know we had talks uh, last summer a little bit, and ultimately we didn't. Uh, we ended up not doing anything and. After the season, at some point, you know, spoke to his his reps, and I spoke to Ed, and just said, "Listen, I'm going to get through the draft, and after that, we'll we'll take a look, we'll see where we're at, what money we have left, what where you're at, and you know, if if we can get on the same page, you know, you know, we think your best football is ahead of you, but uh, it it has to make sense for him, 
and it has to make sense for us. And, you know, I think in the end, I think we found the right deal. You've been pretty straightforward at times about Ed maybe you know, leaving some plays out on the field that he feels like he should have made or, or maybe you guys feel like he should have made. Um, you know, that's probably expected when you're a top 10 pick that they're going to be pretty high expectations. Yeah. What gives you that confidence that he is going to take that step forward and develop into that consistent week in and week out force that now you're paying him big? Yes, I've seen growth in Ed in, in more ways than just what you see on the field. Um, I think people, I think there are more plays out there that Ed could make. I, I, I doubled down on that. Uh, you know, Ed and I have talked about that. I know Eric Washington's talked with him. I know Sean has. Um, just, again, the more he plays, the more experience he gets, understanding at times uh, what teams are trying to do to him. Ed's greatest trait is his get off. And sometimes people use that against him, and, and he may run himself. You know, out of a, out of a play, just a misdirection or whatever. Knowing what they're trying to do to him, reading his keys, those are the types of things that can, you know, take him another step. But I think his best football is ahead of him. Obviously, we wouldn't have done this move. Um, that position is also, um, it's a premium position in our league, and they're hard to find, especially if you're having success. You know. Where do we draft them? We drafted them up high. It's just it's, it's hard to find those. And so, um, you know, I think we've invested in him through four years. And I think his, like I said, his best football is ahead of him. And, and it's on him and, and us to, to continue to develop him to be, you know, one of those top players. Again, you're looking at those numbers, the highest guys making 30. You got a lot of guys getting in the 20s. So um, if they're any good, you're going to be paying them, you know, you know, pretty good money. How pleased are you of Dawson's DK? progress so far yeah I think Dalton's done a nice job he's coming in here he's learning um it's still very early you know uh, you know what's he he hasn't even been really in the building a month but I think he, he's you know he's, he's a great young man he's working hard um he, he's given himself every chance he can to make plays out on the field by studying working you know working his craft getting with with Dawson and and the guys in the room and obviously Rob Boris is doing a good job getting him schooled up but um, you know, it's still going to be a ramp up for him, rookie year. You know, I don't, I don't want us putting crazy expectations on him. I think we're, you know, you set him up to fail if you do that. Um, but uh, you know, happy where he's at, and and looking forward to watching him continue to grow in our system. One more question on the. Um, it, it, yeah, it, it could be, um, you know, potentially, but. Uh, I don't expect I don't expect us to do that at this point. Again, back to Leonard. Um, is it a coincidence that you've now that you now have five guys who won a Super Bowl in that Rams team on this roster? Yeah, I think it's you know listen. Um, it is one of the things you look for is when adding people who have done it and who know. You know, you can always talk about. I mean, I can tell you some of the great traits that you know I've been a part of teams that made Super Bowls or championship games and. There are some commonality and you know, some common themes. So anytime you can add someone, whether it's a, a coach, uh, a player, even, even more, that can talk through what's been there and, and tell the guys um, what that team had that kind of set them apart and got them over the top, uh, especially, you know, once you get into the playoffs where, you know, everything takes and, you know, ramps up another level. So, um, yes, it's it's not that we were just choosing that team, but uh, they are, you know, they won it a couple of years ago. And, and so um, that's a, you know, that's a quality that, you know, we wouldn't be afraid to, you know, add.
just as a just as a follow up because I mean, you know, Vaughn talked about this a lot last year. I mean, imagining leaving LA for Buffalo. I mean, no offense to Buffalo, but LA is LA and just to to have that that kind of thing happen yeah. um was somewhat unheard of, you know, before the Bills became winners. Yeah, I mean I think it's uh it's a reflection of what we've been able to do. Obviously we haven't achieved uh, what we're looking to that ultimate goal, but um I think we've we've shown progress. We've shown that we're gonna be competitive. Um people like to play with Josh Allen. I think that helps and, and um I think people see that we've been close and you know they're gonna look at themselves as maybe I'm one of those players that can help differentiate it uh, in some of the biggest moments, and and I think that's how Leonard saw it. A lot of conversations, you know, with with Ed leading up to this, you know, starting last summer, he just said that he's really focused on proving people wrong that have talked negatively about this contract. Do you get that sense that even after he gets paid like this, that you're going to get the best version of that? Yeah, Ed's wired that way. He's um, he he naturally has a chip, and I think he is aware that. Um, some people question um, whether he whether he earned that or whether he was worth that. Um, you know, we don't. We like I said, we think his best football is ahead of him. We again, just because you left plays out there um, that maybe would have got you to, you know, instead of five sacks, seven sacks, or four sacks to six sacks, something like that. Um, you know, doesn't mean you're down on him. It just means there's there's more meat on the bone. And and like I said. Ed naturally is wired that way. He's he wants to, you know, he wants to prove it, and and you know he still looks at himself as a young guy, and and he wants to get back to the table and see if he can get you know paid even more. I could just of, uh, ask you generally, um, from a defensive standpoint, understanding you still have a, a mini camp and a, a training camp to get through, but with extending Ed and, and bringing in Floyd, assessing the defense, the players you have how satisfied are you roster wise with where things are at right now understanding you still have a competition at the middle linebacker position but given the way last season ended how things stand right now what's your take on that yeah i mean uh, adam i'm 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 never satisfied i just that's that's never going to be in my dna um we're always going to be looking and you know we just worked out a couple dbs we got another one coming in um we're we're going to be you know, Brian Gain mentioned to me this morning, I think we've added 11 or 12, swapped out or added 11 or 12 guys since May 1st. You know, we're still churning this roster, trying to make it as competitive and as strong as we can before we get to St. John Fisher. Not that we'll stop then, but um, you want the best 90 you can get and, and go compete it out for that 53. On the defensive side, you know, I like I like some of the guys. I mean, you know, in some ways, you know, we lost Micah for all but, you know, two games last year. So just getting a Micah back, um, a healthy Jordan, a Taylor Rapp to that group, you know, DeMar trending very well for us. And then Trey White, you know, year two, we're just, you know, Trey couldn't come in the latest that first year off, you know, the ACL for him, his first time with a major injury. So just that alone, obviously the biggest question, I get it. People want to know what the middle linebacker is going to be. Um, you know, we we like where we're at. We like the group we have. We think they're doing well. Uh, we don't have pads on, though, and that's where ultimately these guys are going to have to show up. The front, you know, Vaughn and Jordan Phillips, you know, we'll see when they're ready. I don't know if they'll be ready day one of training camp, but um, we hope to get them back, if not day one, soon after. 
you know, we'll be able to update you probably when we get down there a little bit on that. But uh, adding a Leonard Floyd, getting, you know, Boogie and A.J. another year in our system, uh, Daquan Jones did a heck of a job. I, I like the group where they're at, and I think it's going to be very competitive uh, when we get to Rochester. My cap situation, um, you would ask me that, Adam. Uh, I've been doing a lot of things. I think we're, yeah, I think we're around just over four, but that's top 51. Um, without going through a 20-minute lecture here, top 51 versus pro- doing some projections um, with Kevin Megank and, and Jim, I'm going to guess with adding Leonard, we're going to be minus – Three to five, somewhere in there. Um, I don't, I haven't done that in the last day, but um, somewhere in that. So, projecting how we would cut—that's no injuries. We're still going to have to do some moves at some point to create more room. So, even though today on the top 51 we have, I believe, a little bit over four, we really don't. Um, and just knowing who we think you know, has the best chance to make our roster, how guarantees are shaped and all that, I would say it's somewhere going to be three to five. Have much flexibility to do anything significant beyond this? You said you're still going to look, but nothing significant. I'm going to look, and if somebody wants to come for cheap, come on down. Brandon, you talked to John's point. You talked about, you know, when you you first got here, talking about having that sustained success. How much of that sustained success have allowed you to keep that window open? And how appealing is it to free agents that you try to bring in? Yeah, I mean, I think it's people People want to join. If they have the choice, in general, they're going to want to go somewhere that they think they're going to have a legit shot to help the team, that they, they see a spot that they can make and, and affect you know, the ultimate goal. And then they want to be on a team that they think is a contender, you know, Everybody, nobody wants to be sitting on their couch watching their counterparts play in January and February. They want to be in those games. And so um, the more times you, you know, the the deeper your roster is, um, the more loaded people look at it. You know, sometimes you win some of those those tiebreakers. And, you know, I think that helped us with Leonard, um, you know, choosing us over one of the other contenders. Brandon, to clarify on the cap, you said about $4 million in space right now, top 51. But when you project when it goes to, to all 53, do you project to be over right now? I do. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, so I'm projecting, again, It's you got some battles. That I, don't, I don't know who's going to win, but you can take this guy out here. Moving it around um, when we did it the other day before, I think, I think it was before we were counting Leonard in, Jay. Um, somewhere in the three to five that we would be over if we had to pare this roster down to 53 right now based on what we know. And that doesn't count. You know, if a guy goes down and he's out for the season in training camp before we choose that, you're, you got to add that on top. So that's not losing anybody on a seasoning and ending injury. It is, you know, giving us a little bit of buffers. Um, you know, if – if we had to start with Vaughn on Pop or, or something like that. But, again, hopefully he'll be ready to go. With the cap being as tight as it is and, like, being over, you know, right now, how do you decide that Leonard Floyd is the best use of that money? Like, how does that process work where you're like, okay, we only have so much to work with, but he's worth kind of using some of that on? Yeah, you think you look at, at his skill level and his skill set, and we talked about it with Ed. He plays a premium position uh, as a pass rusher, and so um, – Sometimes there's moves you got to make. It'll it'll cause us a little heartache at the 53, and, and 
how we have to do things, whether it's push some money down the line or, or release a player, trade a player that has value. You know, we'll consider all that, at, especially at positions that we feel we're deeper. And, um, but, again, just adding competition to the group and getting a guy with his pedigree in here, um, I thought it was worth adding him you know, at that price. What do you need to see from Kyrie Elon for him to become a consistent starting option for you in the second year? Yeah, I mean, I think Kyrie, um, you know, I thought, you know, last year, first year, he really did some good things, especially on the field, you know, on game day. I thought there were some rookie things that he did in practice that sometimes said, you know, you know, don't do that, like just some learning things. But, you know, in, in all fairness to him, I thought he – you know, in games, he cleaned up a lot of that. So really, it's just getting that to translate and being a more consistent player in practice, which I think he's showing, and I think that will continue to translate on games. But he's doing it. Listen, Kyrie, um worked really hard in the offseason, came back early as well to, to have himself ready. I wish I could say, like, hey, Kyrie's not putting all his effort in or he's not studying. He is all in as much as anybody, and, and I think – you know, you will see him continue to progress. You know us here, though. We're going to make everyone earn it. Doesn't matter where you were selected or what your salary is. And so, Kyrie understands that, and he's prepared for the challenge. Brandon, you said you've had talks, discussions with Diggs um, back in April. Do you anticipate he will be here for mandatories next week? Um, yeah, I mean, I anticipate everyone will be here. Um, I'm not. I haven't been told otherwise. So, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully all. All 90 will be here in some form or fashion. I know some guys may be rehabbing, but hopefully everyone will be here. Brandon, DeAndre Hopkins' birthday is today. You want to give him a call wish him happy birthday? I'll tell, I'll tell Nuke happy birthday. Yeah. Brandon, what's your take on the kickoff game and the strategy that could uh, produce during the season? Yeah, I mean, Ryan, I'm not really a fan of it. Um, I was hoping that it um, wouldn't pass and that we would take some more time to look at it. I understand they're trying to get the <clears> – <throat> You know the safety, and, and there's some. You know, depends on who you ask. What you know, were certain things preventable? You know, by changing the play or not. Um, I'm, I am excited. Not excited. I'm at least appreciate that uh, they only did it for one year, and hopefully, I know the special teams coaches and and even players were involved in trying to you know save this thing. Um, I'm hoping that we can all put our heads together and you know come up with with something that's better than what we're going to do this year. Maybe there will be some strategies we'll see. Um, again, I know they'll obviously look at the health and safety of it, which no one's trying not to make the game safer. It's just trying to not take certain elements out of the game. Um, but, again, we'll see how it goes this year, and then hopefully the, the best thing is yet to come. Okay, thank you. All right, that's GM Brandon Bean addressing the media. And as we told you at the top of the show, one of the more encouraging things was seeing DeMar Hamlin out of practice with a helmet, participating in team reps. Brandon informed the media that he did that for the first time late last week in OTAs. So this is not the first day he has done it. It's just the first time we have seen it, having access to practice. So very encouraging to see that. Bean told us that Hamlin actually called his parents after that first practice late last week. As his comeback effort continues, Brandon said the next step is getting him in pads, which, you know, will be coming sooner rather than later, and hopefully that goes off without a hitch as well. But just six months removed, Steve, 
Five months, actually, now I'm thinking about it. It's only June. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable. It is remarkable, and it's um, it's a great milestone for him. Um, interesting, you know, pads is a big thing. I'm, as <laughs> People, we, we say it flippantly, and you hear guys all the time, especially old guys like me, say how soft the game is and how, you know, how they, you know, they're changing the kickoff rules and yeah. yada, yada. It goes on and on about just It's flag football is the easy one. Listen, it's still a separating factor, and it's still a milestone for all these guys. You're coming back from an injury, and you got to go full go. Okay, full go in helmets and shorts is one thing. Full go in pads or full go in preseason games. We've said a lot about the middle linebacker spot with the Bills. That competition and that evaluation process for who's going to play is going to be in large measure decided once they get into pads. It's, it's a thing. Yeah. It's a thing for every player. It's a thing for the coaches. Guys will absol- Guys who have flashed during mini camps and OTAs and the run up to to training camp, guys absolutely disappear when the pads go on. And then mm-hmm. other guys are like, "Wow, where has he been?" You know, some guys are all about it when it come the pads go on, and other guys absolutely are not their best when it gets physical. So. It's a big milestone, not only for DeMar, but all these guys. And, and uh, you know, it's hard to evaluate them completely, even in a physical and, I mean, in a, in a medical way, until they get out there and start leaning on each other. Yeah. One other comment by Bean that was very interesting. He said the signing of Floyd was mutually exclusive from the anticipated return of Von Miller. They did not sign him as a bridge and a stopgap maneuver you know, before Vaughn comes back from his ACL injury, uh, basically Bean said his target, Vaughn, has been week one all along. That hasn't changed, but this Floyd signing wasn't a move that was made in case Vaughn isn't ready. We were interested in adding another quality guy to the group. So the signing of Floyd had nothing to do with Vaughn's trajectory for his return from ACL surgery. So I thought that was interesting. And then as far as the cap is concerned. If you project it forward to the final 53-man roster, which means the top 51 salaries on your roster come September 2nd, or whenever the 53-man roster has to be formed for the new league year, he said they are projecting they will be three to five million dollars over the cap at that point in time. And because of that, they are going to have to make other moves to make sure they're under. And right. on top of that, Steve, it pretty much means spending money is done unless you make some major move off the roster to create more cap space or maybe sign another player to an extension right. to make their cap figure right. this year lower. Yeah, they're going to have to do some gymnastics. And plus, it's, they may be 3 or $4 million over, but they're top 51, but they're going to need an extra 4 to 5 just to get through the season because of the moves that, that are always dictated by injuries, guys coming and going off the roster. And it's a lot of money out on the table. Um, and they've, got, they've still got some work to do to, to fit it under. Break time for us here, but when we come back, more of your phone calls. What is the headline you want on the Bills coming out of the spring practices? Give us a sexy headline for the Bills coming out of spring workouts when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you on a Tuesday, an OTA Tuesday for the Bills. They're off the practice field wrapping up the day. 
here at One Bills Drive. And we are asking you for the headline you want on the Bills after spring practices wrap up next week with mandatory minicamp. And we go to the tweet sheet now for some comments. Tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. And Connor says, nothing. The last few years, Buffalo has been all over the national media as the Super Bowl favorite slash top contender. I want the rest of the league to forget about Buffalo. Get back to being the hunter versus the hunted. Go Bills. So no headlines for him. What are your thoughts about that, Brownie? I mean, we we went round and round with that last year. We were the we were the flavor of the month last year, the entire offseason, after the 13-second game. Now this year, because of the Cincinnati game, everybody's like, you know, they're Buffalo right the, Bill, the Bills stink. They write them off. Their their windows closed. Yada yada yada. Now going into this season, tough schedule. What do you you think that means anything? I believe it's easier to be the hunter than the hunted. I think it's mindset-wise, psyche-wise, I think it's easier to be the hunter because you feel like you've got nothing to lose. You know what I mean? If you're the hunted, you're like, oh, man, people are coming for us. You know, we won the division. And in a way, in the AFC East, the Bills are still the hunted. They're the three-time defending division champs. So they are the hunted from that standpoint. But from a national media perspective, they are very much under the radar right now. The flavor of the month is the Jets because of the Rodgers trade. Everybody's still gaga over the Bengals, and I understand why. And the Chiefs are the defending Super Bowl champions. So the shine is off the Bills. They're lying in the weeds. And when they're 8-1, and one, maybe people will take notice. Where, does, where do you come really, down? Do you think it's all poppycock? Well, I'm getting that feeling from you. I don't know why people like people think the players think like like – Nobody cares if the fans like it better that way. <laughs> They're not playing. I think it's easier on their nerves. Right? I think it is. I think it comes down to that more than you anything think else. The, I mean, the players are – and I get it. You can, pick your own, you can pick your own motivation, right, as a player. You're like, yeah, I, I like, you know, when nobody thinks I can do it. Yeah, I get all that, you know. And now everybody – now that you, you, you work your whole life getting respect, and then when you get it, you act like you don't got it, right? Okay. Thurman was great at that. Right, he's the best all-around back in the National Football League, and he says, "Why you got to qualify with all-around? I'm the best back." That and he's like a chip on his shoulder because they paid him a compliment, right? So, stuff like that. Yeah, I, we all do that, but fans like are the, Michael Jordan, and I took that personally. Exactly, and I took that personally, um, <laughs> and I took that compliment personally, um, and used it as motivation. I, all of us have that mentality, but for the players in the locker room. Yeah, they're a long way away from that. Every game takes care of itself motivationally. You got to be mo- motivated on a day-to-day basis, and I get it. You know, you you tend to read everything that's written about you, whether you say you do or not. Somebody tells you, and I, I just don't think it has the weight that people think it does. Certainly, it's a thing, no question. Yeah, the p- public perception of the team that you're on. And this, and in this league in particular, where you can't escape it, I don't know that it carries the psychological weight we all think it does. Because, for instance, I don't think the preseason expectations of the Buffalo Bills had anything to do with the way their season ended. That's fair. But you can't help it. <laughs> right? Human nature. I mean, we uh, 
right? We're all like going, nobody's going to believe. Well, when, when the Bills go out, jump out to like what you said, eight and one start, well, where do you think the expectations are going to be? Right. So just take this one week at a time. Okay. It's a week-to-week league. It is. As our friend Murph always said. That's right. Jack on the tweet sheet says, my headline is, returning to health. Show us that Allen's arm and Vaughn's knee are looking fully healed and ready to head into 2023, not to mention a healthy Hamlin ready to contribute and a healed and hungry team psyche. After the way they were mentally exhausted at the end of 22, it showed against Cincy. Yeah, it yeah. absolutely showed. But things are on the up. Allen's arm looks good out here in practice, I'll tell you that. Um, yeah. Vaughn's knee is still a work in progress. Well, we, but we yeah. just had Hamlin back on the practice field in a helmet today. Vaughn is going to come back. He is going to come back 100%. He's going to play well. That's going to happen. The health of this team and the, and the injuries, both major and, and minor, were the story of last season for me. The DeMar Hamlin injury, the Micah Hyde injury, the Von Miller injury, the Daquan Jones injury at the end, um, and go down the list. Christian Benford injuries, uh, Spencer Brown injuries. I mean, the, the list was long and exhaustive last year. If that changes this year and gets back to where it was two and three years ago where the team was relatively healthy, maybe one of the healthiest teams around, yeah, you're gonna, yeah all your hopes and dreams have a chance to come through then. John on the tweet sheet says, my headline is Bill signed D-Hop. The entire fan base wants this. Please get it done. We'll be excited. Win, lose, or draw. We will spend the money to see the product. John wants more offensive weapons, which was the, the mantra at the end of the playoffs last season. People said all in on offense. And I was kind of a proponent of that myself because what did we see in the Super Bowl? We saw a Philadelphia Eagles team with one of the best defenses in football, led the league in sacks by a mile. I mean, they were secretariat in the sack race last season. And what did it mean in the Super Bowl? Nothing. Right. They got 36 hung on them in the Super Bowl. That's when, at the end of the last season, all of us were talking about, man, it is an arms race in the AFC. It's an arms race. You just got to keep up. You got to score points, period. That's it. And it certainly looked that way in the, in the NFL. Um, it'll be interesting to see the rule changes for this year, how they affect teams' abilities to score consistently and what the league's going to look like on the scoreboard. Because some, you know, we've seen it in the past, the pendulum yeah. swings a little bit. There's some, you know, some years where it looks like everybody's hanging 40 points on everybody, and then the next year it's, it's harder to do it. And it's subtle rule changes that help them do that. I don't know if that's going to be the case in the trend this year that keeps keeps on doing that, but it certainly felt like that at the end of the last season, like you said. It was an arms race. We all were talking about it. The Bills, I think, have done their share to keep up in that in that race. They're going to be fine. Um, they were better than their the end of their season would have indicated. They were better offensively than the end of the season would have di- indicated. Uh, so I'm, they didn't have as far to go as a lot of other teams. But we'll see where they land when, when, the, when the smoke clears. <laughs> I say the smoke clears or the smoke outside. When the smoke clears uh, and the Quebec fires go away, <laughs> we'll find out how they did. But I, I, I like where they're at. Certainly D-Hop could help them, no question. He's a good player. Good players make you better. But I, I like where they're at right now anyway, whether he's here or not. Fair enough. Uh, one final comment on the tweet sheet. My headline, 
Kincaid in line for 65% of the offensive snaps. Elam looking like an elite corner. Spencer Brown winning every rep. Some pretty good ones there. Well, I'll tell you this, Steve. If you get all of those things from those three players, (laughs) woof. This team's going to be a juggernaut. Yeah. They might be anyway, but you get three guys like that, young players filling major roles, it lifts you to another level. Yeah, no question. That's, yeah, all three of those, forget it. Yeah. Elam Elite, Spencer Brown not losing a rep. Kincaid, 65% of the offensive snaps, which means he's probably making plays. That's, yeah, and that's without. That's dreamy. Yeah. They go 12 personnel that much, or, you know, even if Kincaid's seeing some 12 personnel and some single tight end sets. Yeah, that says a lot about where the team's headed offensively. That's awesome. Yeah. Sure. Pretty cool. Let's go. I'll take it. Yeah. In spades. I'm all about it. Uh, let's go back to the phones here and squeeze Ron from Alden in. What do you got for us, Ron? Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. Yesterday, you were guys spent some time talking about uh, kickoff coverage, the change in the kickoff rule, and how that could affect maybe a player not being on the team or how the players would be used. What I don't understand is, um, and I'm sure you'll be able to explain to me, is punk coverage would be the same thing, right? Aren't the same players in a punk coverage? I just want to know what the difference is between the two special team units of punk coverage and kick coverage. I'll hang up and listen. Thank you. Yeah, it's good I'm idea. to defer to the special teams right. expert over they, here. They are different. You got, you'll have a, a handful of guys, maybe half of them, five or six, that will be on both of those coverage teams, but you'll have other guys that are interchanged. Um, that's the difference. Um, it's not the same 11 guys, usually. Uh, kickoffs, you can usually get away, particularly these days, you can get away with lighter guys going down because they can't form wedges plus the return team has to have lighter guys because they start up close to the line of scrimmage and they got to race back to get in front of the return guy and so you can't have a fat guy who can't keep up up front which is where everybody's at Uh, and you don't want to put a fat guy already back there because you only allowed three guys back inside the 15 yard line and they they may have to field the ball so uh, because of that kickoff coverage has gotten lighter and faster and punt coverage has kind of stayed the same. You need some bigger bodies down inside because once in a while when you get like a the other team puts a safe punt return team out there, which means they leave their regular defense on the line. So you got some jamoke like me in there playing the up back or the guard or the tackle on punt coverage. All of a sudden I'm lined up across from Von Miller. He gives me the adios and he's back there blocking a the punt. So you got to have some bigger bodies on punt coverage. But theoretically, you need big bodies like who can really run as well and tackles, usually linebackers and defenders who can stand in there and take the brunt of a rush if they go safe punt and then lengthen it out and run down and cover the kick fast enough to make a difference. So there is a difference. You're right. It's a subtle difference, and it, it comes down to there's always a handful of core guys like we've all seen. But those core guys are put out in spots – where they can fly to the ball. Yeah, The interior guys on punt are a little different, and those guys have virtually, in my estimation, have a little bit disappeared on kickoff coverage. Thank you, Professor Tasker. We will take a break here and be back to close things up. As it is a very important anniversary today, we will explain when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio.
All right, One Bills Live, final segment of the day. And Steve and I did want to mention it is the 79th anniversary of D-Day, this country's greatest generation, uh, making a tremendous sacrifice on this day, along with British and Canadian troops as well um, on the five beaches of Normandy. And, you know, 10,000 troops gave up their lives in the first 24 hours of that major beach assault, but over 150,000 troops landed on the Normandy coast and began the ultimate downfall uh, of the Nazis, primarily because the German army was cut in half, because Stalin was working on the Eastern Front, and it forced Hitler to divide his forces and cut in half. There was no way to stand up to the superior numbers and air support on both fronts. I'm just old enough to have been a very small kid when that generation was still alive and vital late in their life. And uh, to hear the stories and to to hear the pride that they took in being a part of that effort, uh, still very much a part of my heritage. And I thank all of them for it. The families, loved ones, descendants of those who gave their lives for us. I appreciate you and thank you so much. Yeah. So, uh, Important to just remember them. If you live near a veteran, thank them. That's it for us today. Steve and I are back tomorrow when we have who? Ed Oliver on the (gasps) show in studio. We'll see you at 1.